Welcome to our first podcast. We have decided on the three semi-wise men. Am I right, gentlemen? Yes, sir. Yes, we are. We will introduce ourselves since this is the first podcast. My name is Mike. Hello, I'm Wade Holmes. I'm Curtis Wurstek. And this is Jesse. Yes, and we are going to be uh, just going through the Bible and some of our thoughts uh, for our semi-wisdom and hopefully filled with the rest by God's wisdom. So we hope you can get something out of this. Today we are starting with uh, Romans. Nice theological book. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I agree. And uh, we'll read the verse and we'll give you kind of the topics right now. So, well, the verse verses. We're looking at Romans 1, 18 to 32. And so I will read it here for you. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless, godlessness and wickedness of human beings who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over and their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to, that depra to, a, to a depraved mind, so that they do, not do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous degree, and that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And our topic today for that is basically, does God still punish people for their sins? There's a few examples in the Bible itself that does, but that explains this, which I'm sure we'll touch on some. But does he still punish people today for their sins? And do they, does he punish just Christians or just non-Christians or both? Or does he punish them just in hell or during this lifetime? It's kind of the three areas we're going for. I am going to be the prompter today, so... That means if the conversation slows down a bit, I'll throw in questions, play devil advocate, which I love doing oh so much. Well, why don't we start with some examples from the Old Testament that we find, or just the Old Testament, within the Bible itself. Do we have any in our notes that we made? Hmm. That we thought of, or should I go with the one I had to start us off while you guys look through your notes? We can go with yours, but my thought always goes back to some of the cities that God would send his prophets to, because he was already planning to either destroy them, do whatever he had with them. But at the same time, the efforts of the, the prophets who went there changed the course of how that city went because he got them to repent. I can't mm. give a specific, for example, but well, I'm sure you do. Uh, a specific of that would be Nineveh, mm. right? Mm. He had uh, judgment and wrath was going to come upon it, but he sent Jonah to try to do it. And Jonah succeeded, though not in his own mind did Jonah succeed. 
uh, and you save that city from wrath. Well, that was a good first example. There you go. Um, also, a, another good example would obviously be the flood. Prime example mm -hmm. of God just looking at um, the people, pe hum humans he created and seeing all the evil they did and deciding that there's no way he could have all this evil on his planet, so he just wiped them out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Except for eight people. <laughs> and the end of that story is why I love rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> that is why I enjoy rainbows. Okay. Uh, well, that's good, because then I can put into mine, which is uh, kind of a segue between does God punish and how does he punish, mm. uh, that I found in Genesis 3. And it's Adam and Eve, so one of the first punishments in the sense that uh, God lays out. And it's during the fall. And so I'll read in Genesis 3, 16 to 19, kind of the, the punishment that he laid out to man and women and, you know, skip out the snake. So to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. You, with pain you will give birth to ch children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Hmm. And so he punishes them in that way for their first sin, and it contrasts a lot with the purpose that he originally gave both of them. To Adam, he created them to help him work in the garden, to uh, name all the animals he brought him to, and to help work with him in the garden. And Adam's punishment is now this work is going to be harder uh, than just having God's blessing with him. He's going to have to work hard to work the ground to get the food mm. that he has. Eve was created um, to be man's helper came out of man. So if she comes out of man, it says, do they join in one flesh uh, when there's marriage? There's a kind of an equality there, right? They're working together. Mm -hmm. And now Eve's is, she's submitting to her husband. The man is being over Eve and they're no longer that equal kind mm -hmm. of helper out in that way. Well, see, it's interesting because this is the fall of man, essentially. This is when sin first comes into the world because Adam and Eve went against what God had planned. So sin comes into the world because God can no longer be there because it's not whole, completely holy. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people forget that this world is so bathed in sin because there are glimmers of light. God does have his hand in a lot of different ways. And um, I think it's funny because when we think of punishment, we always think of something completely negative because that's what a punishment is. Like growing up in school, you got punished for being bad. Same thing at home. But um, punishment from God can also lead to a lot of growth, even if you just look at Jonah, even though he didn't accept what God had planned for him. When he ultimately did, a lot of good came from it. Myself, for example, whenever I felt that I was maybe not necessarily being punished, but I had something negative going on in my life, those are the biggest growing periods because you can grow a lot from those kind of situations. And God puts them in your path because he knows through his grace and his love and you trusting in that, you can get over that and become stronger for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I look at punishments in a bit of a different light than I think most people do. Because I still try to find the positive in something negative, mm. which is a healthy approach to life. I think um, the why God punishes people depends on whether they're Christian or non-Christian. But you look in the Bible, you see ultimate reason for God um, allowing any kind of hardship or pain or punishment to enter anyone's life is just so that 
they'll ultimately um, get closer to God. And so, um, like, you see that with how uh, in Romans 2, 2, um, it says, Now that we know that God's judgment against those who do these things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, okay, just a second. Two, three. Um, or do you, or do you show contempt for the riches of kind, of his kindness, tolerance, patience, not knowing that, that God's kindness leads you to repentance? But the whole reason why um, God, um, like, doesn't just wipe us out at all is so he can show us his kindness, and ultimately that will, um, that he wants us to get to know him. Mm -hmm. And um, like Wei was saying, with uh, for Christians, you see that in. Um, Hebrews 12, um, he says, in, um, My sons, do not take light the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when the Lord rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as sons. Endure hardship as dis discipline. God is treating you as sons. So he's like, it's not just God just wants to um, help you grow. He just He's treating you as if... He, you're a son, as if he's part, of you, as if you're part of his family, and so that's even more of a encouragement than that. At the end of the day, I'm going to be a better person because I'm actually can go to God as my father and go, okay, what are you trying to teach me through this? So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that uh, quite covers that God does punish Christians, and then in the sense of that is much like the loving father that God is often used or the loving father that's often used as a metaphor for God's love. Mm -hmm. The father punishes his children so that his children will learn how to become better people in a sense and in this way draw uh, them closer to God and grow stronger in their character in God. Now what about non-Christians? Mm -hmm. Does he punish them with the same intent? Could God be, the metaphor of a loving father for God, be used with non-Christians? Because the verse you quoted, or the passage you quoted in Romans 12, about it is Hebrews being... 12. Hebrews 12. What did I say? Romans 12. Romans 12. Hebrews 12. <laughs> um, that God punishes for, uh, like a father punishes a son. Would that include for non-Christians because they're not inheriting, in, inheriting the kingdom? It's not necessarily under sunshine. I would say yes, because they still are made in God's image. They're still sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, whether they realize it or not, because they have, haven't come to that truth necessarily yet. Mm -hmm. But I believe, yes, God still does punish them the same way that he would punish somebody who does know him. Yes. I, I disagree. Yeah? Because... It's interesting. Um, because you see in the Bible, the, there's basically two sides. There's sons of the devil that... Um, first John talks about sons of the devil and sons of God and so there's a major distinction between like a clear-cut line between someone that's not a child of God and someone that is and the Bible um, continually makes reference especially Jesus and um, especially Jesus of God bringing people into his family and it's hard to say that someone who's not a Christian and doesn't um, believe in Jesus doesn't follow God that he's a part of his family when God's saying, um, I accept people into my family when they believe in my son. So there has to be a distinction between the two. Hmm. So, uh, do you think that non-Christians do not get punished during their lifetime? Or are they punished for a different reason? I think 
I think they do get punished, but I think it's different than than the way we'd think. And I think that's where Romans one eighteen to thirty two, which Mike read at the beginning, comes in. Because it starts off with the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against godlessness and wickedness. But then it just goes on to say that um, people have chosen to forget about God. They don't want to know about God. They've chosen to ignore what he's shown us through his creation and in different ways he's chosen to reveal himself. And then basically God just lets them do what he wants, what people they want. And I think um, that's where the difference is, is God as a father would want us to become become more like him, become um, grow in holiness and 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 become better people. But in this case, he's going. If you just want to ignore me, I'm going to just let you. I'm going to let you go and do whatever you want. You can. I'm going to just give you over to the depraved minds and do what you what you shouldn't be doing, but you love doing anyway. And then he lists the wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, and all those things at the end. There, I think that's where the the huge difference is. Mm. God's like obviously bad things happen to non-Christians, but I don't think it's for the same reason. I think God's just letting them be bad people, and so. Mm. So you're saying it wouldn't be understood in the same light, mm-hmm. because they don't have the same the same values, the same lifestyle, the same teaching. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. be yeah. taken into account the same way. Yeah. Okay. Um, would you say that Christians and non-Christians are both being punished the same, but the interpretation by the person is? different or would you say Christians are punished in a different way than rather than Christians just being say Christians have this idea they have more knowledge about the Father because they have the Holy Spirit interpreting so if they are doing what say their their sinful desires does God let those sinful desires let leave them to their sinful desires but because of that Holy Spirit that's still within them that helps them realize it more and so allow them to reform their character and that's how they become closer to God. Whereas non-Christians don't have that Holy Spirit uh, interpretation so they're just, you know, s- still in it like uh, like the prodigal son kind mm-hmm. of idea. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's kind of how it goes? Um, Would you say he doesn't really let Christians into their sinful desires but punish them in a different way? Well, if we're talking about Christians, I don't believe anyone that God's called into his family. I don't believe God as the Father would let people go. Yeah. And we see that with the prodigal son. So even if someone were to drift away, he'd he'd be he wouldn't just he'd be out there to chase them and get them back and draw them closer to himself. And and um I don't have references, but Jesus says that lots where anyone that God's given me is never going to be let go. You get that. Mm-hmm. So um as far as Christians go, God's not just gonna let them if he's if he's really called them into his family, he's not just going to let them go. But um, on the other hand, for non Christians, obviously non Christians do become Christians all the time. We hear about people um, turning to Christ all the time. So I think that's where the Holy Spirit does come in. Is that God's not just doesn't just let everyone just go. I think he does. He is calling people out, and he's saying, "I want you into my family." And he's that's where people like preaching and um, and sharing the gospel and sharing what God is like and what Jesus did for them on the cross and stuff like that. I think that's where that plays a huge role is that they hear that and they can respond to that as mm-hmm. opposed to just um, just rejecting it. And 
Yeah, and to use a bit of a metaphor from Scripture, um, I think of Moses and the burning bush. I, I imagine God places about a million burning bushes in somebody's life just to call them towards him. It's a kind of like the Holy Spirit tugs you in certain ways, but our heart's desire goes somewhere else because our mm -hmm. heart at that point is not fixed on God. So we're more focused on our sinful desires. I think it's something eventually clicks, something eventually hits home in the person's mind, and then that's when they start going towards God, and then they start realizing mm -hmm. where they've been, where they should have been, and who they're going to be now through Christ. Um, well, I'm thinking about the the uh, God going out pursuing people, Christians who have left. Uh, there's the the parable that he uses that the good shepherd would leave the 99 that have remained to find the one that's lost mm -hmm. and bring it back. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's more of that actively pursuing. But in the prodigal son, the father doesn't go out searching for his son. He's mm -hmm. He is looking out the window every day waiting for his son to come back. Mm -hmm. He doesn't purposely uh, go out and approach him. And now the son is, you can't say, is a representation of a non-Christian because he was in the family before. So that mm -hmm. would signify that he's a Christian. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind... How does that leave the argument of God actively pursuing uh, Christians who have sinned and have gone with their sin? Well, because the Father knows all things, so he knows what we're going to experience when we go on that little, let's say, binge, for lack of a better word. Because any time I've stepped away from the Father, when I finally came back, I knew it was a complete mistake, and I knew I should have been my Father's loving arms the entire time. And I think in that case, God fully knew where my heart was going to be at the end of it, and what he had planned for that was better than if he had just pulled me right back as soon as I took a step out the door. And I think the prodigal son's story kind of represents that for that son. Mm. That God knows what it's going to be okay and he's going to come back, but he's going to learn a lot, even if he does step into sin. So it's a knowledge that if God knows that he has to actively pursue this Christian to get him to come back, um, then he does. And if he knows that this person is going to go off for a while, but come back, then he's going to wait and rejoice when he comes back. Is that mm -hmm. kind of the argument you were having? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. All right, so there we have we have non Christians and Christians both getting punished, but uh, with different goals in mind by the, by God. Uh, Christians to reform their character, um, to bring them closer to God in that way, and non Christians uh, He lets them go into their sin, but is <coughs> still reaching out to them. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair enough synopsis? Am I yep. missing anything on that? Yeah, I just yeah, want but... to. I just want to. Um, add on to the yeah. punishment of that because because obviously the ultimate punishment for non-christians is hell and i just want to do um another verse in romans 2 um but you're because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of a day of god's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed and i think that's where it ultimately comes down to is when god just lets people do whatever they want and live their sinful lives that at the end of the day at the end of their lives, that's when his ultimate punishment is going to come in. Mm -hmm. And so all that bad stuff they've been doing is just storing up wrath against them. And mm -hmm. God holds back his wrath, as I said before, with the, uh, or do you not, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. And so the fact that God's letting, letting you go about that your life is, um, is his kindness. Well, you, well, and he doesn't want you to get to the point where he has to punish you, but it's because you're not willing to accept his kindness and return or turn to him is um, destroying up wrath. Mm -hmm. So, so one of our questions was, does he punish uh, just in this life or 
or in the, this life and the afterlife or just the afterlife and I think we've talked a lot about it being in during this life now mm. and the afterlife is something I just want to touch on brief, briefly because kind of the uh, topic of hell is ties into this topic can be a whole topic of its own mm -hmm. so we don't want to go into that rabbit trail too long but just briefly on one thing on hell is that kind of ties in with what we're talking about is uh, Reasons for God by Timothy Keller. Yeah. Uh, we've yeah. all read it. And uh, his thoughts on hell, uh, I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, was that hell wasn't so much a place of fire and brimstone and internal torment in that way, but withdrawing his spirit from the per people and letting them live in their sinful desires and sense, but with no possible reconnection of God. Now, at this mm -hmm. point, they know that there is a God because of the great judgment has already happened. Mm -hmm. And they know that's happened. So do you believe that that is a fair analysis of how uh, hell is kind of like, or is it more of the fire and the brimstone, and that well, leaving of the spirit is more of the punishment? I think it kind of... I don't want to take the sitting on the fence here between both of you, but I think it is kind of both in a certain way, because God is love. That's pretty darn clear in Scripture. But even the most loving Father does have wrath, which Jesus did pay for. But at the same time, when I think of when I look at hell, all I've done, all I've read, all I've studied on it, I think where Timothy Keller goes with it, the idea that hell is hell is separation from God, and that is the most torment ever. So anything sinful, anything terrible that's broken and wrong in the world exists in hell completely. But the only difference is there's no escape to God. Like God cannot pull you out, will not pull you out by that point. And I think in the end, for people that are still reject God but in their life, God is actually giving them a place where he is no longer there in almost out of love sense because they've rejected God. They don't want God, so he's giving them a place where he isn't. But by the time they're there, it's, I guess, too late for, um, oh, geez, what's the word? Repentance. Too late for repentance by that point. Uh, well, Curtis is searching for something, so I know he's going to so I'll uh, jump in to stall for time. Um, my thoughts is that what Timothy Keller um, ex explains is more like the punishment of uh, the non-Christian non that we were discussing before during this lifetime. That's a separation from God now. In that case, though, they do have that alleyway of being able to come to God. Um, but I, I feel it's more of a, a of a description towards the punishment during this life, and that like hell, obviously that separation is going to exist as well. But I think there's uh, more punishment to that just because of the constant use of a wake of fire and stuff mm. like that. And um, I don't think there has been any solid um, biblical analysis by other people about what that lake of fire is. So I know people have tried using it as saying that it's a metaphor for something, but I don't think any of those kind of arguments have stood up. Do you find what you were looking for, Curtis? Mm -hmm. Okay. The, um, the main place where Timothy Keller gets his ideas about hell is from the parable of, the, of Lazarus, mm -hmm. who is um, basically, they, uh, I, didn't have, I have, don't have time, haven't had time to read this before, but um, where this guy dies, and um, and he go and he's put get sent to hell, and he's tormented there, like we understand, with um, fire and and stuff, and um, and he sees this poor man that he walked by all the time in heaven, and so he asks the poor man for um, a drop of just a drop of water, and so um, 
obviously he can't give it to him because he's in tor- because the rich man's tormented. But um, the whole the whole idea is that he didn't ask for he didn't ask me um, go to heaven. He asked for just a drop of water and that and his so Timothy Keller looks at this and goes well in that case he probably doesn't even want to go to heaven and so he, he wants to be in hell he he doesn't care that he's being tormented this is where he'd rather be than spend eternity with God and so um I think it's I think it's both and I didn't quite hear all everything you said but I think it's both and where there's definitely torment but they're getting exactly what they want mm-hmm. separation from God so it's I don't think it's a fence issue. I think it's definitely just both. Well, maybe it is too. I mean, the people that want to go to heaven, God is giving them that gift. And the people that want a separation from him are getting it. Mm -hmm. It's really, both are out of love. He wishes the people going to hell would change their mind. But at Mm -hmm. that point, he says, okay, the line of your autonomy is over. You've chosen your path. Mm -hmm. And I think he sticks with that. Excellent, excellent. Um, is there any other notes you guys had that you wanted to touch upon at all? Um, um, my last thoughts are about how knowing God plays into all this. Because it says um, in Romans 1, For they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, or gave thanks for Him to Him as God. And um, they, and they, re- um, they did not think it worthwhile to retain their knowledge of God. I think... A lot of um, why people end up just going into sin and into um, going away from God and having that wrath stored up against them is because they just choose they don't want to know God. Because that's where we find all our joy as Christians, where we find all our hope and all our, all our um, peace is in what we know about God and who He is as the Father, who He is, ever Jesus did on the cross for us and how we're saved through His blood and stuff. And so I think that knowledge is what is a huge part of why people do what they do. And even with the prodigal son, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of, I think the reason why he left and then returned begging on his hands and knees is because he didn't know the father. Like he, like, like we thought, think he would being his son. Right. So, um, how we approach God, why we do the things that we do, why we sin the way we sin is I think a lot of, because we just don't know God the way we should. And so that's why it's so important to get into the Bible and, and actually get to know God properly. So, mm-hmm. my final thoughts? Wait. Yes, my final thoughts, I think, would stem from Galatians 6-7. Paul tells us that whatever a man sows, he will also reap. So, to go the whole theme of punishment, in my mind, that's the sin. The sin in our lives. But the good news is, as Curtis said, is it's paid through by the blood of Christ. So the sins are paid for. So remember that, but also, try your best to not continue in that sinful life. Mm-hmm. To step above it. Because the Holy Spirit's got your back. He's got your back. <laughs> All right, that's the final thoughts from these two. Uh, we'll say goodbye now. This is Mike signing off. This is Wade Holmes. Take care. Curtis Burstick, have a good night. And hopefully we will see you in a couple weeks when we decide how long in between we're going to do this. But <laughs> have a good night, everyone, or a day, if whatever you are on. And yes. <laughs>